Well, as I've told you before, I lived in California for a couple of years, and my wife and I love to travel out there, and one of the things we'd love to do is to go to L.A. Uh, we, we'd go and hang out in L.A. for a couple of days, visit the, the beaches and the boardwalks down there, but we probably in our first time we went down there, we realized there were these maps that you could purchase, and these maps would show you where all these famous people live. I don't know if you've ever been to L.A. if you've ever done this. And so we pick up a map and we drove around and we would find on the map someone that we possibly wanted to, to find their home, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. or Tom Hanks, and you find it and then you, you drive up to their house and then you just stare at their house. And as you're, as you're doing this, there's these double-decker buses that people pay money to get on a bus and travel around and pull up to a house. They're like, uh, Tom Hanks lives here on the left and you just stare at the house. There's no reason to do it. But it, what, what fascinated me is Every time you went and you did it, you would, you would look at the, the size of the house and you'd want to see what kind of cars that they drove. And just by chance, you would hope that maybe they would come out, right? Maybe, maybe they would pull out and then you would, you would look like a creeper who has just been waiting for, a, for these people to emerge, right? It, it's pretty crazy, isn't it? It's crazy our fascination with famous people, with the size of houses, and cars people drive? Like, we just did a, a little test real quick. You can just think in your mind. Um, if I told you to think about a person whose car you wish you had, right? Think about your own car. Like, whose car do you wish you had? Or if you thought about your house, maybe it's a family member, maybe if it's a friend, maybe there's someone out there that you said, man, I just wish I had their house. Their, their kitchen is perfect, the way it's laid out. It's just, if I could have any house, I'd want to have their house. Or if you think about abilities, maybe you feel like you're not gifted in anything, you don't have any talents, like, man, if I just had what they had, if I had their abilities, my life would look different, or possessions, right? It's not just young people who, who deal with this, it's all of us, whether it's wanting the new thing or their thing, we, we, we have this thing in us, and then ultimately what we could ask is, is there someone you wish you could just switch lives with? Like you just think, man, I, my life is at a place where I wish I could just switch with someone else. They seem to have it all together. They seem to not have any problems. If I could just have what they have. Now, the, the way the, the Bible talks about this, the word they use is to covet. Is to covet. And we're going to wrap this series up looking at the 10th commandment. And it says this. If you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible around you somewhere. We, we'd love for you to have that. That's our gift to you. There's a page number on the screen for the scriptures those go along with that red Bible. If you have a smartphone or something else you want to pull out to look at the, the few scriptures we'll talk about, you can do that as well. So Exodus 20, verse 17. Here's the last commandment. It says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his donkey, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Okay, so what does this mean for us? We're going to look at the why behind this. I hope you've gotten that idea. Why is God saying this? Why does this really matter for those he gave the message to a really long time ago? And why does it matter for you? I mean, is this still applicable to your life and to my life today? Does this matter? And so as we wrap up this series, I know not all of you have been here the whole time. And I've, I've said a few things over and over that I hope have kind of been planted in your mind, in your heart, that you'll never forget, that have kind of stuck with you. And so I want to recap just really quickly. There's a group of people, the Israelites, who have been in bondage for hundreds of years, generations. That's all they have known is slavery. And so finally, 
God miraculously removes them out of that. They literally, we believe, they literally walked across dry land, across the Red Sea. That It was a miracle that they got out of slavery. And they get to the other side and they have a leader that has brought them there and they have this promise of where they're going. But then the Israelites, at one moment, they think, man, this is difficult. We don't have the food that we want. We don't have the life that we want. We thought we were going somewhere. We thought we would get there quicker. And they sit around and they think, man, remember when we were slaves? Remember we got to sit around pots of meat? Wasn't that great? They, they were so confused about what it meant to be free that they would have rather gone back and been in bondage but to be able to have some of those things that they needed. They couldn't see what the future could look like, what God was promising them. And so God gives the Ten Commandments, and he says, look, you've been set free. You are no longer slaves. You are not to return back to that. But they didn't know what it meant to be free. And so, so God was going to help them figure out, well, what does it look like to live a free life? Not just to be set free, but to be free. And I think that many of us are still at that place, that we think we've been forgiven. We believe that God loves us and cares for us. But many of us do not live free lives. And so we've been looking at these. We, we've been going through them and saying, okay, well, what is at the core of what God was after with each one of these, right? And the first four dealt with our relationship with God. So have no other gods. There's no one else that you should worship but God alone. And then the next one goes right along with it. Don't create anything that becomes a God for you, whether that's people or money or your things. Those things will always compete and always get in, way of, in the way of our faithfulness and our worship to God. And then he says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't empty God of his name. We do that with the way we live our lives. We do that with the way we put God's name on things that God has nothing to do with. And so when we take his name in vain, it's not just cussing or saying certain words, but it's emptying God of who he is. And then he says, rest, right? This is a good one. Let's hold tight to this one. God says, look, take a day off that your life is not simply about what you produce, that your identity is not found in, in those things, but who God says you are. And so take a day off. Find your identity in God alone. And then he switches. And then the last six have to do with our relationship with one another. And so he says, to honor your parents, like, actually, this comes with a promise. Like, if you do this, your, your life will go well for you. You'll, you'll live a long life if you honor your mom and dad. And, and don't murder. And we talked about how this has to do more with just taking someone's life. But hate and anger. We, we talked about not committing adultery just briefly. And I talked about that really this summer and this idea that it has to do as much with our eyes and our heart as it does our actions. And we talked about not stealing. Are we people who give or are we people who take? And then last week, we looked at this idea of bearing false witness, not lying against people, gossip, rumors, things that we hope would hurt someone else. And really through all of this, my hope has been that you get a fresh perspective on the Ten Commandments, right? So many of us, can, we memorize these. If you went to, to church as a child, you probably memorized them. You did crafts and you knew them. But, but sometimes when we see something, and we see it so much, we, we believe something certain about it, but maybe there's more to it. I don't know if you've seen this picture going around, and hopefully on the screen this will still uh, work, but there's this picture that's going around. Have you seen this online? <laughs> All right, so some people see this picture a certain way. All right, so just real quick, uh, how many of you see a pink shoe? Anybody see a pink shoe? Okay, a pink shoe 
with white laces and white on it, right? Okay. You guys are wrong. How many of you see gray and blue? Okay, we're right, right? We're, we're the right group. Actually, the shoe is pink. The shoe is pink with, with white. But here's what's amazing. My, my wife and I, we, we had a huge argument. Drop down. Uh, uh, but we sit there and she sees one thing and I see another. And we both believe that we are right. We both believe that we are right. And sometimes, sometimes I think we get tied to something so much that we actually lose what it really is about. Right? And so I think, like, that the Ten Commandments often, we, we think they're just a list. We think it's just a set of rules. We think it's just these things to do or to not do. But honestly, there was so much more behind these Ten Commandments. So God is going to tell the Israelites, he's going to tell you and I, not to covet. And this is what covet means. To desire, to take pleasure in, to long for, to crave, to be jealous of something that is not yours or not supposed to be yours. Right? This, this could even say that we desire or long for things that God has not intended on being ours that God has not given us or blessed us with or put us in a position to get that and to desire it at a deep level that leads to other things. But here's the deal. I think this is really important. Desire isn't wrong. Okay, I think this is important. Desire is not wrong. The psalmist actually says to take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Right? So desires in themselves are not wrong. I desire my wife and I desire to be with my family and I desire to eat food, right? There are these desires that we have to have purpose to our lives. Those are all good desires. But what happens is these get out of place or out of whack and we begin to desire certain things that we shouldn't. As I said before, that don't belong to us. These desires that go against God. So as you said, he says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. These are the things we talked about earlier. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or husband, his manservant or maidservant, those people who work for them, his ox or donkey, his possessions, the things that he has. And then he says, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, this doesn't mean just your next door neighbor, right? If they're two houses away, if they're down the street, if you just live in the same, that's not what it's saying. Your neighbor is anybody. And so this is not an exhaustive list. It is all-inclusive. It's, like it's like God starts to list some things. Don't covet this. He's like, just don't covet anything. Right? If it's not yours, don't covet it. And I've said this before with the other commandments that deal with uh, loving people. Th- this, one, this one ties closely to the others. Right? The, the first one, um, you, you could say that you can't break the nine commandments that come after the one without breaking the first. Let me say that again. If I break the fourth commandment, if I break the seventh commandment, I have broken the first commandment and created or worship another God. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And what's interesting about this one, when we covet, we often break the other commands. Yeah. This one leads us to break those other commandments. So if you think about honoring your parents, uh, when, you, when you look at your friends or you look at other people, you're like, man, if I just had their parents. Now, that's not honoring to our parents. Or if you think back to Cain and Abel, we think about murder and, and this idea that Cain was envious. 
He literally was coveting what his brother had and what he was receiving, and it led him to kill his brother. Or if you think about adultery, and you think, man, if I just had that wife, if I just had her, or if I just had him, he listens and he's kind to me, if I just had them, right, which leads to adultery, but that's coveting neighbors. We can't have, so we take, we gossip, and we spread rumors. Did you, did you see the car that they bought? How do they even afford that car? When deep down, many of us just are longing for something like that and we're envious or we're jealous, which leads us to covet and then to gossip and to spread rumors. And so it's actually pretty common if we covet to then break other the commandments, but not always. And this commandment is different in, in a couple of ways. This is interesting to, to me. Uh, the other commandments can often be measured or observed. If I steal something from you, you, you know it. Right? If I lie, you've heard it. But I could covet and you would never know. Deep in my heart, I may be unsatisfied so much that I long for everything that you have. But you would never know it. And so this, this is what separates God's commands and his laws for us than lots of other moral codes. Other moral laws are all external. What do you do with your life? What what are you producing? What, what is the outcome where, where God is actually after our heart? And he says, yeah, you, you might be able to do things that no one else observes. You, you may follow the other ones. No one ever sees you murder or steal. But deep in your heart, you covet and you long for what everyone else has. And you are unsatisfied. Right? These have to deal with the heart. He's addressing the inner person with this one. And so coveting, we've looked at this. What, what does it really deal with? I think coveting really deals with envy. And envy leads to some things. It leads to resentment and jealousy, judgment. It leads to hatred. And see, we, we've talked about this. Envy is about self, right? So the first four have to do with, with God. And Jesus says, look, the, the most important commands are to love God. So the first four, most important, love God. And he says the second is like the first, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so if we are going to love others, right, if we begin to envy what other people have, this has to do with self and not others. And the other thing that's interesting here is most of these other commands are actually crimes, right? There's crimes that go along with these other commands, but this one, again, this is what the scriptures call a sin, it is to go against what God would have for us. Now, one of the big ideas I hope you've been able to take away from this series is to understand who it is that's giving the laws. This changes everything. Who is it that is giving the laws to us? Because if we don't understand that, then it is just a list of rules. It is just check the boxes. Did I do this? Did I not do this? But if we understand who it is that's giving us the laws, it changes everything. And so I just have to be honest and, and listen to me here. So, so listen to this whole next part. I find it interesting how upset many followers of Jesus get when people want to take down the Ten Commandments in places. Listen to me, okay? Um, in, in Arkansas this year, they put up the Ten Commandments. And within 24 hours, a guy drove his car into the monument and took them down. Come to find out, this same guy drove into the monument of the Ten Commandments in Oklahoma as well. 
right? This guy's not well and he's sick. But here, here was my thought. He, he doesn't really understand the Ten Commandments. And many of us would say, well, he's just against God. And maybe that's true, but it's probably because he doesn't know God. He doesn't know who God is or what God is about. That God is about giving us life. The deep love that God has for us. And so the weight of the Ten Commandments comes because who gives them? It, it comes because it is God who speaks them into existence, not even just because they're in here. And, and let, let me explain that. We, we follow God and we follow Jesus. And this is our instruction book to that, and it points us to that. But the first, the first disciples, those who were following in the beginning, they didn't have this. They may have had the Old Testament. They, they didn't have the New Testament. They were following Jesus. And so the reason we've spent this much time talking about the Ten Commandments it's not simply because it's a list of rules we find in here, but it's because of who has given them to us. Yeah. And if we understand that God is after our freedom, if we understand that God is trying to give us an abundant, full life, then these carry this massive amount of weight in our lives. I mean, just think about it. As a kid growing up, if your parents gave you a list of chores, if your, if your dad gave you a list of chores, or if your mom gave you a list of chores, you may or may not have, have done them. Um, the hope is that you would have done them because your parents gave them to you. But can you imagine if a stranger did that? Right? If a stranger said, okay, here's a list of chores that you need to get done. It doesn't carry as much weight. But when it's your dad, when it's your mom, when it's a grandparent who raised you, it carries a weight because it's who's giving them to you. And so we have to. We have to see that these matter because it's God who gives them. It is a good father. It is the good father who grabs us by the shoulders and looks us in the face and says, I want what's best for you. Follow these. Follow these and they'll lead to life. And so these things matter. These commandments matter. The, the words we speak, listen to me. The words you speak matter. Some of you have been on the receiving end of those words and you know the pain that it causes. You, you have been on the end of gossip. You've been on the end of rumors and it is painful. And so we too have a chance to speak words. And so when, when God sets this up and says, look, I'm starting a new nation and a new way of doing life. These are the things that are going to lead to a community that is active and vibrant and loving. And so these commandments matter. Hate anger and bigotry, those ruin communities. They ruin lives. So when he says don't murder, it's to give us life, not just by taking someone's life, but what life looks like in community. This is what Paul says in Colossians 3. We've looked at this and a few other ones, but this is what Paul says. Paul was against Christians. He, he watched as Stephen, one of the first followers of Jesus, is stoned to death. He held, he held the robes and then God miraculously redeems his life, and then he plants churches. And this is what Paul says to this group. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Greed here is actually the word covetousness. So he's saying, get rid of it. Specifically, if you're a follower of Jesus, we are putting to death. We are getting rid of these in our lives. And so that too has to do with greed or coveting those things that don't belong to us. So why? Real quickly, three things. Here's three reasons why I think we need to do this. The first one is when we covet, it hurts our relationship with God. 
It hurts our relationship with God. If you turn to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, chapter 6. This is Paul writing to a, a younger uh, man who is leading a church, and he's trying to give him advice and suggestions on how to lead uh, people. But he says this, 1 Timothy 6, 6, and he's been talking about money. He says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Those who are always wanting more, they're always wanting the next thing, they think this will satisfy right there at the very end. It actually leads us away from God. We begin to wander, and, and this word wander is this idea that it wasn't on purpose. I don't know how many of you have gone away from your faith. At one point, you followed Jesus, and then all of a sudden, you're like, man, how did I get so far away from God? I didn't plan it. I just all of a sudden, I wake up one day, and I think, man, where is God? Where have I been? This idea of wandering. And so we wander to other things. We wander to other things that we think will satisfy us, that will give us meaning. And then all of a sudden, we realize, man, how far have I left God. How did I get to where I am today? If you keep going to verse 17, this is what he tells. This is what Paul is telling Timothy to tell others. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their faith or put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. He says, look, if you're struggling with, with wanting what you don't have, begin to be rich in good deeds. Live a generous life. It's amazing what happens when we take our attention and our focus off of ourselves and we begin to put it on other people. And it becomes where we no longer just want, but we begin to say, oh, how can I help? How can I help others? And there's good news in this. Listen, it says there, we put our hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God has given you things to enjoy. It might be stuff, but it might be relationships. It might be your work. But he gives us things to enjoy. But he says, don't be arrogant about it. Right? If you have children, it's this idea, I love to spoil my kids. Like, I love to provide and do things that they are surprised by. Like, I love for them to ask for something and they normally hear no. And I say yes. And they're like, well, wait, wait. What'd you say? We can get ice cream at 9.30 at night. What is going on, right? I love to, to spoil. I love to give gifts. I, I love at Christmas, you have the one gift you, you keep to the end because you know it's going to be the one that they really enjoy. I love that as a father. I love to give my kids things, but I do not want them to act spoiled, right? I, I do not want them to expect to get whatever they want when they want it. 
And so as we think of God being a good father who says, oh man, I love giving to you. I want to pour out my grace to you and my love for you. I want to provide deep, authentic relationships around. I want to give you good things. And sometimes that means money and sometimes it doesn't. But even in that, it is to be enjoyed, to be generous. But then there's this idea where God's like, don't, don't get mad when you don't get it. Don't be arrogant thinking you should always get what you want. Don't, don't treat other people differently because they have something that you want but you can't get. And in all of this, it hurts our relationship with God. And so here's a question you have to begin to wrestle with, and this goes along with a lot of these things. And maybe this is the question we, we answer for each one. But it's this, are you able to celebrate the good that happens in others' lives? Right? We want to celebrate the good that happens in our own, uh, but the promotion that your, your friend gets when they do get something that you wish you had, they get married and you're like, man, I'm going to be single forever. If someone has, has children and you're not able to, and I, it, that is so hard. Right? That is near, feels like near impossible to, to handle and to deal with. But is there something in us where we put our hope and our faith in God where we're able to celebrate anything good that happens in someone else's life. The second thing I think it does is it hurts us. So it hurts our relationship with God, but when we break this command, it actually hurts us. Uh, Jesus in Luke 12, 15, Luke 12, 15 says this. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This is Jesus and just after this, he's going to talk about a man who has a good crop and he builds barns and he doesn't have barns big enough, so he builds bigger barns for all of his stuff. And, and Jesus is saying, look, that does not define who you are. What happens even if you get everything that you want? What happens when you're envious and you covet what your neighbor has and then you get it? Does that define you? Does that make you who you are? Is that actually going to give you fulfillment? He says, look, your, your life is much more than just what you have and everything around us this is not difficult just watch commercials grab a magazine and look at ads everything around us says your life is about what you have just just real quickly i pulled i pulled two i pulled two the key to an extraordinary life is quite literally a key anybody know what kind of car that is a maserati anybody know what those start at the one I found was 70,000. I am never going to have an extraordinary life, right? I'm not. If I listen to this and I believe this, then what happens is I think, well, I need to work more. When I should maybe give to my family, I'm going to put in more hours. Maybe I'm not going to get a Maserati, but maybe I'll get a, a, a nice car. And then I'm going to have an extraordinary life because people are going to see me in that car. Right? We, we covet, right? And then here's the, the next one. Bold knows no one dreams of having a mediocre kitchen. Right? This is a Kohler. That is a kitchen faucet, right? Uh, I'm just happy water comes out of mine most of the time, right? Like that's a, that's a good thing. But when you see something like that, you begin to step back and look at your kitchen and you think, do I have a mediocre kitchen? Like when people come over, right, and you entertain and you have people and you, you clean like crazy right before everyone comes over and you make sure everything's in its place because you want it to look a certain way and they come and you think, man, do I have a mediocre kitchen? 
I mean, the, you can't read it, but this thing sprays in like all kinds of different spots and stays where you want it. I mean, if you ever had that spot in your sink, you can't quite spray. With this, you don't have a mediocre kitchen. And we laugh, and I laugh as I, as I see these and many more. But if we were honest, if we were honest and we look around and we see other people, we think, man, maybe if I did have that, maybe life would be different. Maybe I would just be a little happier. Maybe I'd find just a little more fulfillment. Paul, who I talked about earlier, he wrote this in Philippians 4, 12 through 13. He says this, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to rely on others and I know what it means when I have enough to give away. And then he says this, I've learned, this is, this is really important, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. That wasn't easy. That wasn't natural. Paul says, I've had to learn what that looks like. And then it's this scripture that many of us have heard and maybe a coffee mug or you've recited before. He says this, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. He is quite literally talking about being content. He's not saying that we literally can do whatever we want because God's going to give us strength. He is saying it is so hard to be content. It is so hard not to covet what our neighbor has that he's learned to do it. And the way he's learned to do it is that God will allow him to be able to do it. And so there's a gift and a blessing when we learn to be content, to be able to say, I have enough, that I have enough. And what I have is enough, right? The the car that I have, the home that I have, it is good enough. The last thing is that it hurts our relationship with others. James is the half-brother of Jesus. He says this in James 4, 1 and 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So we, we have this battle that rages inside of us of what we want, and it acts itself out. And it usually works itself out with people that we know. The people we know. We compare, which I've told you this, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. And I think, to add to that, it is the enemy of contentment. It is the thief of joy and the enemy of being content. And so we, we talk about people or we think certain things about people or we wish we had their life and it begins to damage relationships. So what do we do? What, what's the solution? Uh, the solution is we know the one who gives us actually what will fulfill us. We know the one who actually gives us life and gives it to the fullest. There, there's a time where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven, the ways of God, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. This is what's happening. This man says, this is greater than anything else. There is nothing else that I would rather have in this moment but the kingdom of heaven. God is more than enough for me. So he goes and he sells everything. He just says simply, I don't need anything else but God alone. But God alone. So we begin to know God 
like really know God, we know his grace and his love and his purpose for us, when we do that, we begin to know peace. We know what peace looks like in our heart. We know what life with purpose looks like. We know what it means to be content. We have to battle against this one. I, I talked uh, just a few weeks ago or last week about our words and how most of us struggle with, with that. I know we all struggle with this one. The idea of being content and finding our contentment in God alone. So as I end, just to wrap up, Greg's going to come up and, and close us. Just the, the, the big ideas for this whole series. That God is a good father. And maybe that's one thing you need to take away from today or this whole series. Is that God is not out to get you, but God is after your heart and trying to help you have a fulfilled life. That God wants us to be free, to live a life to the fullest, to not be in bondage. When we break these commandments, we are in bondage to them. And that grace is the only thing that will help us. Is the only thing that will help us when we've broken these commandments that we go back to God and we ask for forgiveness. And maybe you've never done that. Uh, maybe you haven't ever recognized God as a good father who, who loves you and wants to forgive you. And maybe today you would say, look, I want that for my life. I want to be forgiven. I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life life. Maybe that is what you take out of that. But for many of us, for many of us who follow Jesus, I hope you have seen this in a new light. That it's more than just a list, it's more than just rules, but it's instructions on how to be free. Would you pray with me? Would you stand? And then we'll end with our, our song here at the end. Many of us hold our hands open. We hold our hands open as a sign uh, that we want this, as a symbol to say, man, I, these things that we've been talking about, I want in my life. So would you pray with me? Father, we need your help in these. We cannot do them on our own. As Paul has said, Lord, we're learning how to do this. So God, would you give us grace when we fail? Would you send your spirit to give us power to no longer be in bondage to these things? Lord, I want to be free. I want our people to be free. I want everyone in our community to understand what it means to be free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.